Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to hear from your word, we acknowledge that you are worthy of our praise and all glory and honor for the love which you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you send that love to be with us now as we listen to hear from your word. May you speak through my words and use my lips to your glory. And may you be in all of our hearts and our minds as we seek to discern and know your will and hear from your word. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. To all you moms out there, we love you and honor you and celebrate you today. And I pray that today would be full of blessings. And for everyone, for families, I pray that you would be looking to honor the moms in your life, to show them love and care and support for all that they've done. My mom lives in Illinois, so unfortunately we don't get to see her today. But I love my mom dearly, um, cherish her and all the times that we get to spend together. We usually try to get together about every other week, a few times a month. I was raised and told, always told that family is the most important thing. And we're a family that loves getting together, spending time together, going on vacations together. One of the things that we love to do when my mom gets together and we're together as a family is play games. We're a big board game family. So if you ever come over to the Gorbold house, we've got a huge library of, from everything from simple card games to complex hour-long strategy board games. We love to get together. And one of my favorite things to enjoy in this life is to get together with family, friends, over a good meal, maybe some good drinks, have good conversation, and enjoying board games as one way to do that. And so I just love uh, that part of life. But as we come to our scripture reading today, I'm confronted with a bold command. John tells us, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone does love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So am I wrong to stand up here and tell you that I love board games, that I love getting together with family, that I love enjoying those things? Should I sell my collection of board games and get rid of them and give to the poor? What does John mean when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world? So we continue our sermon series today on 1 John, that you may know. Gene has been encouraging us to bring our Bibles. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be flipping around to a few different passages today. So it's good to have it on hand so you can turn. But if you look uh, in your bulletin, 1 John's also in the back there to follow along. Today we're in 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. And it reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, one practical way we can interpret this passage is to do kind of as I suggested, to give up on the pleasures and enjoyments of this life in order to devote ourselves to God. We can think of the Puritans, right? The Puritans sought to give up extravagant lifestyles, to live simply, modest, to give up pleasures and devote themselves to following God in a strict lifestyle. We can think of the monastic tradition throughout history and around the world, monks and nuns who, in fact, gave up families and have taken a vow of poverty and stricken off the desires and, and joys of this life in order to focus and live a life devoted to God, to prayer and reading the scriptures. 
But unless I'm mistaken, I don't think any of us have taken monastic vows, right? I don't think there's any monks or nuns here. <laughs> so what does this passage mean to us? Living in Cleveland, in the suburbs of Cleveland, surrounded by nice things. What are we to make of John saying, do not love the world or the things of the world? How does it speak into our everyday reality? Well, I think a key to understanding what John means here when he says the world and the things of the world comes with verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So when we look closer, what John is warning us against is not simply the joys and loves of all of creation, but he's specifically honing in on the desires that lead us away from God, our sinful desires for the things of the world. Now, if we're going to try to understand that text more deeply, there's a few ways that we can come at studying a passage of Scripture. We should pray over the passage and read it carefully, read it in context. We can ask others what they make of the text. You can come to Jean or I or another priest or talk it in the church. We can consult commentaries and say, well, what does the Greek mean? What are these desires? We can look at theology and say, how have famous Christian authors throughout time in the world used this passage and what do they say about it? All of those are good. But I think one of the best ways to interpret a passage of Scripture and understand it deeply is to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Let Scripture speak to Scripture and compare this passage to other passages in the Bible to see what they might be telling us and how they speak together. So when we look at 1 John 2, verse 16, I think John has another passage of Scripture in mind when he writes about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. So if you do have your Bible, we're going to turn all the way to the beginning and look at Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, at the very start of the Bible. And if we look at Genesis' creation account and the creation of the world, one of the things that's interesting is that it doesn't say that God created the world in Genesis. It says God created the heavens and the earth. But when we read the account, God creates the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them and says that they're good. And if you read Genesis 1 and 2, it's very different from John, 1 John, saying do not love the world or the things of the world aren't of the love of the Father. God delights in his creation. And at the end, he creates humans, you and I, and he puts us in creation in order to care for it and to continue his project forward. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden to enjoy it. And so it doesn't seem like it's a situation where God's saying, don't love these things. It seems like he's saying, I've created this for you. Love and enjoy it. But it doesn't stay there. The story kind of goes off the rails in chapter 3. So if you look at Genesis 3, there's a creature, part of God's good creation, who tricks Adam and Eve. The serpent is described as being more crafty than any of the other animals in the world. And he tricks Adam and Eve into seeing the good in God's creation and deciding to love it more than the creator. And it uses their desires for the things of the world and convinces them to disobey God. 
So let's read Genesis 3. I'm going to pick up verse in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now did you catch when, the, when Eve sees the fruit and desires it? Think back to 1 John. John warns us of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And here in the description in verse 6, we see that the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. It's the same threefold pattern. And so I think there's no question that when John writes to us, warning us to not love the world, he has in mind this creation account. So when we go back to creation and see, what do we find? We find that Eve and, and Adam, with her, are tempted and desire the good things of the earth. There's nothing wrong about this description of the fruit. It's good for food. God has placed them in a garden, abundant with plants and water. They have plenty of food. Food is good and necessary. It's desirable for the eyes. God made the world full of beauty for us to enjoy. And it's desirable for gaining wisdom. Of course, God wants us to grow in wisdom. As we read all of scripture, we, th- we see that the gaining of wisdom is one of the chief aims that we were designed to do, to seek after wisdom. So what's the problem then? The problem is that seeing these good things in creation, Adam and Eve end up wanting the creation in and of itself for its own good. And they want it so much that their desire for it leads them to disobey God's commandment. God has provided for them all that they need, but rather than trust God and live in his love, they seek out to grasp the good of the world for their own aside from God. And this leads them to shame, to separation from God, and ultimately death. And so John, in his letter, is reflecting on this passage and warning us, do not love the world and be led by your desires to disobey the will of God. So I want to look briefly at three different ways that our desires can lead us down a path of destruction like Adam and Eve. First, the desires of the flesh. And I think here of our desire for material goods. As I said earlier, we live in a place full of good things. Most of us own nice houses, we drive nice cars, we have nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with those things. We want you to come to church clothed and not naked, all right? And it's okay if you dress nicely and look good. And you have to drive a car to get here. And it's okay to want a nice home where your family can be safe and secure. Things are good and important and necessary for our lives. 
But we know that our desire for things can often end up consuming us rather than us consuming them. The desire to want the newest piece of technology or keep up with the latest fashion trends, to have a nicer car than our neighbor has, a nicer lawn than they have, to have good things. And often our pursuit of material goods can lead us to become selfish and jealous and prideful, and we end up spending so much of our time, our energy, and our money in the pursuit of things that distract us from how God might want us to be spending our time, our money, and our efforts. Too often the desire for material things can lead us down a path of sin and destruction. Next, the desire of the eyes. And here I want to go away from Scripture a little bit more and lean into our modern world and talk to you about smartphones and the Internet. The desire of the eyes. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with smartphones. I don't know how I would get around without mine. I use my Maps app like every day. I also use my phone every day to pray and to read Scripture and have meditation apps on there. I use it to keep in touch with my family that's in Illinois and to text and share things and share pictures and keep up with life. We recently redid our, our Facebook page for the church, which was due to uh, some unfortunate circumstances, but Jean pointed out that our, our Facebook page is the number one connection we have with the community. It's the main way that pe pe people find us and come in to join us. Smartphones, the internet, social media, these are all tools that we can can use. They're not bad in and of themselves. But too often, our desire for them ends up distracting us and consuming us so that we spend so much of our time scrolling through feeds and reading the next thing. And our desire of the eyes ends up making us look at things that maybe we wouldn't otherwise if we didn't have a smartphone in our hand. There are many dark things on the internet, and it's easy to get trapped into looking at them. And smartphones are designed to be addicted. They're designed to draw us in, to notify us and ding in our pocket, keep us on social media as long as possible. And we know now, not just through our experience, but through science, that the more time we spend on social media, rather than connecting it to one, us to one another, it leads to loneliness, to anxiety, increased depression, even suicidal thoughts. Because social media often leads us to a place where we feel inadequate and jealous of others and what they have. And we get so distracted by the desire of our eyes and looking at our phones so much of our time, distracted away from the greater things that God might have in store for us and that God desires us to be using our time with. Finally, the pride of life. Here I think of our desire for success and our ambition whether you're students in school and you want to get good grades and get into a good college, whether you're in a career and you want to get a promotion or a good salary, or desire to succeed and do well, I think all of us probably struggle with the desire to want people to recognize us and to be praised for the good work we do. Again, there's nothing wrong with this. We were created to work. God made us to work. And the desire to do good work and do well at what we do is a godly desire. And yet so often that ambition and desire for success can drive us to consume all of our time, distract us from our family, 
distract us from loving others, distract us from things at church or other ways that God would have us serve in order to focus on ourselves and what we need to do to succeed and get ahead. The desires to succeed and for success in this life can also tempt us into doing things we ought not to do in order to succeed, perhaps to lie or cheat slightly or to steal or to step on other people's toes in order that we could get ahead. Too often our desires for success, while good, lead us in negative ways. So these are just three things. We could go into many more, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the desire to gain wisdom on our own. Part of the Christian life is examining our lives regularly to determine what is leading us closer to God and what is leading us further away. If it's not part of your regular habit, I'd commend to you that a daily examination should be part of your everyday life, considering what today led me closer to God and maybe what things were distracting me from the will of God that I need to lay aside. But we're back to my question at the beginning. So what then? Should we give it all up? Should I sell my board games? Should we sell our nice clothes and our cars and give away to the poor and live lives of poverty? Should we give up social media and our smartphones? Maybe. I think that there's certainly as we examine our lives, there's ways we can pull back from those things. And there are things we need to give up. But there's a lot more to the Christian life than simply what we don't love. The Christian life isn't about what shouldn't we do? What shouldn't we love? What do we need to give up? It's about what we do love. Let's look back at 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse 17 as John explains why. Why does he suggest we don't love the world or the things of the world? For the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is pushing us to from loving lesser things, the things that don't really matter in this life, that are just going to pass away, and encouraging us to love the things that do matter, to love the things that abide, to love God and love others. St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you pronounce that, potato to potato, but St. Augustine of Hippo has a really helpful description of sin that I think ties into to this message. Augustine defines sin as disordered love. And what he means by that is sin is not simply desiring evil. Augustine says we aren't designed for evil. It's not our natural state to want evil. The problem is we love things that are good, things that we ought to love, but we have disordered the way in which we should love them. Augustine says that we should love God above all else. And we should love others above ourself. And we should love all of these things above the things of the world. And so if we love others, even our family, which is right for us to love on this Mother's Day as we reflect on honoring and loving our mothers, but if we love our family more than we love God, then our love of family might lead us to disobey the will of God to do things that are less than what God desires for us. If we love other people more than we love ourselves, it can lead us to do all kinds of terrible things to others. And if we love things more than we love God or others, it can distract us and lead us down paths of destruction and isolation from God and others that aren't good for us. 
That's what sin is. It's disordered love. What, what I think First John is encouraging us to is to order our loves properly, to love the things that abide, and to put love of God and following God's will above all of our other loves. I'd like to conclude by looking at our gospel passage. So again, if you have your Bibles, this time we're going to open up to the gospel of John. John 3. John 3.16 is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. I, I, if I had to guess, I think that many of you probably have it memorized and know it well. John 3.16 and 17. Gene pointed out at the beginning of this sermon series that the Gospel of John and this letter, 1 John, are written by the same author. And it's almost as if 1 John is a commentary on the Gospel in order for us to apply it to our lives. It has many of the same words and themes and messages. And if you look at John 3 as a whole and 1 John 2 as a whole, there's a lot of parallel words and imagery and description going on. But it's interesting when you look at John 3, 16 and 17 and compare it with 1 John 2, 15 and 16, they almost sound like opposites. Let's read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And you might look at that and say, well, which is it, John? Do we not love the world? And anyone that loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. Or do we love the world? Because God loved the world so much that he was willing to give up his Son for it and wants to save the world rather than condemn it. But a deeper reading, we see the same themes speaking to each other. John 3, 18 goes on to say, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, for they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. 1 John and John both, our passages today, are calling us, do we love the darkness more than we love the light? Have we put our love of lesser things, things that are passing away, of first importance in our life above our love of God? Our gospel is calling us to turn from the darkness to the light of Christ to love God above all others and seek to follow God's will as Jesus followed God's will. And if we do that, then we will love the world rightly as the Father loves the world. And if we do that, then our love of God and our love of one another, the important things in life, those loves will not pass away. We will not be condemned along with the world and the sin that is all passing away. Rather, we will be saved through Christ and brought into a new abundant life. And our love for God and one another will abide forever. I didn't originally plan this, but as we were going through the service today, this, you know, this often happens, I feel like, when you... Uh, write sermons or prepare something, God tends to line things up for you. So I read our collect for the day, and I just thought, well, there's my sermon right there, written out in prayer form. 
So in conclusion, if you all want to turn with me to, to page five of your bulletin, we're going to read that prayer again and read it as a prayer from, truly from the heart and reflect on its words more deeply as we pray together. O oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love toward you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.